This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Police are investigating a TikTok challenge that took an ugly turn. Residents of a Courtney neighborhood say they've been living in fear of a kick on the door, often in the dead of night. Kylie Stanton has the story of what happened when one family decided to take matters into their own hands. Think ding dong dash, but for a new generation. TikTok challenge that involves kicking a front door and running away before the occupants answer plays out over and over again on the social media platform. TikTok challenge. But at the same time, terrorizing this quiet Vancouver Island neighborhood. That's just appalling. It's just ridiculous. Like, what's happening to us? I think it's wrong. Many asking not to be identified for fear of being targeted. It got to the point where it was frightening. You'd be sitting, you know, in the evening watching the news, and all of a sudden it would sound like the whole door was coming in. And so you'd get up to go, and away they'd be running, giggling and laughing at us. But last Sunday, Owen May, a resident who did not want to speak on camera, decided enough was enough. He says he and his neighbours had repeatedly reported the incidents to police, but when nothing was done, he set up a tripwire with fishing line under his door. Telling Global News, I got a catch of my lifetime the other night. One of them got tangled in a piece of my fishing line I left outside my door. Then he shared this video. It shows May's wife pouncing on the young man. May says an assault ensued. It's important to note that portion of the video was never shared. It was brutal, though, to see the, the violence. So it's just sad to see that this is starting to happen here. There's no reason for it in this day and age. May says the altercation landed both he and his wife in hospital. She suffered lacerations to her eyelid. His feet and legs were equally roughed up. RCMP were not available for comment, but in an email to May, confirmed officers had identified two youths involved. Writing, I will be forwarding my report to Crown Council with recommendations of charges. But May says he's been made aware he could be facing charges of his own. Relevant to Section 247.1 of the Criminal Code of Canada. Traps likely to cause bodily harm. It seems very complex and so it is going to require further police investigation in order to determine what's appropriate. But May is defending his actions and so are his neighbours. I think the police didn't pay enough attention to the homeowner. It's been playing hard on him. And while posting the challenge may rack up the likes online, here in the real world, no one is getting a kick out of it. Kelly Stanton, Global News. A BC escort accused of manslaughter and drugging men remains in custody after new allegations she breached her bail conditions. The BC Prosecution Service says following a court appearance yesterday, Jessica Kane was remanded in custody. Kane, who is facing more than 20 charges, is alleged to have failed to comply with house arrest conditions. She's due back in court April 12th.
A mission man says his family is the latest victim of Canada's controversial catch-and-release bail system. As Travis Prasad reports, he says he was shocked by what RCMP officers told him after he was targeted by burglars. This sound triggered a nightmare for the Cutts family as they slept during the early hours of Tuesday. 1.30 in the morning, they opened the door of my truck, used the fob for the garage door, hit the jackpot. One piece of that jackpot was this. Jim Cutts' 2016 Ford pickup fresh out of the body shop with new paint and chrome. His wallet and passport also inside. Now its spot in the driveway is empty. I was dumbfounded. My truck's gone. Where'd my truck go? And that was just the beginning. After getting into the garage, the thieves rifled through his wife's Land Rover SUV before opening the door to the laundry room where they took his wife's purse and the keys for their vehicles, excavator and fifth wheel. They took it all and the keys for the house. So we were freaking out. When Mission RCMP arrived later that morning, the family was troubled by what the attending officers allegedly told them that the thieves were likely known to police and had recently been released from custody after being charged in similar thefts. They're not getting any support from the courts. They get them, they find them, they bring them in, charge them. A couple of days later, out they go. They're back out on the street. Well, if you know they've been recently released, go arrest them and make sure Crown Council knows. If you don't know that, don't say that as it raises an unnecessary uh, fear in the community. As Cuts takes inventory of his possessions, he's warning others to never leave anything in their vehicles and make sure the doors are locked. Because now you don't know. When are they coming back? Will they get in? You know, how many are there? What will they do this time? Travis Prasad, Global News. North Vancouver man has been sentenced after a crash that killed a woman and left her husband severely injured. Andre Matthew Lucat pleaded guilty to one count of impaired operation causing death, one count of impaired operation causing bodily harm. He was driving on low-level road in North Vancouver in March of 2021 when his vehicle crossed the center line and crashed into a Volkswagen. 65-year-old Marcelina Aguilai was driving the Volkswagen and died on the way to the hospital. Her 66-year-old husband suffered traumatic brain injuries in the crash and died a few months later. Lucat was sentenced to 40 months in jail for each charge to be served concurrently. He's also prohibited from driving for seven years. Another Vancouver resident is coming forward tonight to raise questions about whether the city shows bias and how it deals with homeless encampments. As Kristen Robinson reports, he has a unique perspective on the city's actions concerning a small encampment in his own neighborhood, populated by wealthier residents. I generally think if it wasn't for my parents, I would be uh, living in one of those encampments right now. Growing up on Vancouver's west side, Alex Troche says his financially stable family likely saved him from ending up here, getting him the care he needed to fight substance use and mental health issues. Now clean and sober, he wonders why two tents in Vanier Park near his Kitsilano home were met with swift action following a resident's complaint. When the lives of people who are more like affluent are impacted, uh, the city is more willing to like actually acknowledge that there are issues with tent encampments. Troche wrote the city and mayor asking why tent cities have been allowed to grow throughout the downtown east side while the quote 
hint of an encampment in a wealthier neighborhood gets shut down. Why are other neighborhoods allowed to be subject to crime, violence, and risk being randomly stabbed by walking out of their house? Even one of the people living in Vanier Park is puzzled. I think it's segregation. It kind of like pains me almost to just see like people that are in desperate need of help, people that are impacted by their decisions. The city is essentially just like giving them the middle finger and saying, as long as you're not financially well off, your, your needs don't matter. Vancouver's ABC Majority Council says the city does not respond to encampments based on the income levels of the neighborhoods they are in. And going forward, overnight shelter bylaws will be enforced anywhere permanent tents pop up. If you're capable of dealing with this situation that quickly, you're more than capable of dealing with the rest of the tent encampments. So why aren't you? We're continuously working with the province, particularly around the um, East Hastings encampment. They're not as simple as one or two structures that are in a, an isolated area in a park. That can be responded to very differently. And also Crab Park uh, is under um, a legal process right now. Complicating the park board's ability to remove tents. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A forensic audit of B.C. housing ordered by the provincial government last year is now complete. But when it will be released to the public is up in the air. Our Keith Baldry joins us now with more, and I'm sure that audit has some pretty interesting information in it, Keith. Oh, based on our stories of the last year or so, I'm sure it does. Again, the beleaguered BC Housing Corporation, of course, always in the news for the wrong reasons. Last year, its board fired suddenly in the middle of summer. Uh, a, a subsequent audit by Ernst & Young uncovered management problems there as a slew of executives left their posts there. Questionable transactions for agencies getting government money to build housing projects. It resulted in another audit from the Comptroller General of BC. That audit was handed over to Housing Minister Ravi Kalon today, who does promise to make it public, but not not until the third parties named in the report have noticed or given notice that they are named in the report. But Peter Middlebar, the B.C. Uh, Liberal Finance critic, critic, says that's not good enough. At the very least, it should come to the Public Accounts Committee at the legislature. Here's the two of them. Uh, we've reviewed it. Uh, we believe that uh, it is in the public interest for the report to be fully released. Uh, we've been advised by uh, legal that we must follow uh, the rules under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, that any entities that may be named in the report uh, be given the ability to review the report before it becomes public, and that's the process we're going through right now. I think the public should uh, rightfully wonder why the government doesn't want this to come forward in a way uh, that would provide maximum transparency in terms of uh, questioning of BC Housing moving forward, uh, getting a full understanding of what steps BC Housing will or won't be adopting and taking uh, on the recommendations of this report. And, and the easiest way to make that happen uh, most certainly would be having it come to the Public Accounts Committee. So Minister Kalon could not give me a firm timeline of when to expect this report to be made public. There's going to be some problems uncovered in there for sure. But the House resumed sitting on Monday. So look for the B.C. Liberals to press this issue, I think, pretty consistently uh, through the rest of the session until this report is made public. All right. Looking forward to seeing what's in it. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, the ongoing debate over bike lanes in Vancouver has landed on the street that's already undergoing a huge transformation. As Imadagahi reports, City Council is considering proposals that include dedicated lanes along the Broadway corridor. Vancouver has a new bike lane debate. And it's centered around the city's new proposed second downtown, the Broadway corridor. Just 
acknowledging we do have over 200 speakers. When the former city council approved details surrounding the massive Broadway subway construction project last June, they did so under one condition that when the busy corridor surface level makeover was complete, it would include a new separated active mobility lane. I'm disappointed to see it up for yet another vote and I'm worried that the ABC majority on council will kill it. Next week, city staff will report back to the new city council with a recommendation to forego the bike lane for now, making sure there is room for wider sidewalks, public space and parking. We've got a outstanding infrastructure uh, already in place on 10th Avenue and it just doesn't make sense to me why we would duplicate that infrastructure. Councillor Brian Montague hints that his ABC party majority on council will accept the staff's recommendation when it comes time to vote. One of the things that will be severely impacted with with a, an active transportation lane in is accessing the businesses for servicing, for deliveries, parking, emergency vehicles. And perhaps the largest argument against the Broadway bike lane. Parallel bikeways on 10th and 7th avenues only blocks away, although only small sections are protected. A lot of people use the off-Broadway routes, um, but you're still mixed in with cars. And so for a lot of more nervous uh, cyclists, newer cyclists, they're not comfortable with that setup. It's not safe enough. BC's Environment Minister George Heyman has already written to council encouraging them to invest in biking infrastructure. The vote comes before City Council next Wednesday. Imadagahi, Global News. Well, the days might be numbered for the residential school memorial at the Vancouver Art Gallery. The tribute has been on the back steps of the building for almost two years. But the city of Vancouver now wants it removed, and they're not alone. That's next on the News Hour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Coming up on the news hour, Save the Spider, the sculptor behind this arachnid art, makes their case to let the spider live. Plus. Good afternoon. Bonjour, Canada. The U.S. president addresses Parliament, Joe Biden's message, and what he really thinks of the Toronto Maple Leafs still to come. Right now, though, the future of the residential school memorial is up in the air nearly two years after it first went up. The steps on the back of the Vancouver Art Gallery have been home to a moving tribute to Indigenous children who never came home. But now the city of Vancouver wants it taken down. And as Jasmine Baller reports, it has the support of the three host First Nations. Hundreds of shoes still line the steps of the Vancouver Art Gallery, nearly two years after the residential school memorial was initially set up. Ever since it went up and the bodies from the residential school started being found, I found myself coming here and grieving with my fellow community members. This memorial went up in May 2021 after Tecumlopes de Schwepmik discovered the suspected unmarked graves of 215 children at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. Haida artist Tamara Bell set down 215 pairs of shoes on the steps. 
one for each child. Since then, volunteers have been looking after the memorial. My mother was residential school survivor, my grandmother, my aunts and uncles. I'm second generation. The mourning will continue, but the temporary memorial's time has come, according to the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. At a certain time that we, uh, in our culture and our teachings, that time has to move on. We're not saying remove because we don't believe in the residential school and the purpose of setting it up. The city of Vancouver made the request for its removal at the end of November, saying the three local nations weren't formally consulted or asked for permission. But four months later, it's still up. I thought a handshake and an agreement, a verbal agreement was fine. I had no discussion with any of those individuals at all, uh, as my position as elected chief here in Musqueam. The group says it's not going anywhere, and this weekend another teepee will be set up at the site. I'm not disrespecting them. I'm doing my culture. I'm a Haida. I come from Haida. The nations are working with the city to come up with another, more permanent space for remembering and healing. We're not saying just um, remove it, forget about it. As for the 215 shoes and the stuffed animals, he says the hope is once the memorial is dismantled, they'll be taken to Tecumlips to Shwetmik for ceremony. Jazambala, Global News. And we know these stories may be distressing for some of our viewers. There is a 24-hour residential school survivors and family crisis line at 1-800-721-0066. A BC First Nation from the Shuswap region has signed an historic agreement on child welfare with the federal government. Splatsin First Nation has become the first Indigenous community in BC to take control of its own child and family services. Representatives from the federal government and local Indigenous leaders signed the agreement today, enshrining the Splatsian's right to create its own child and family policies. According to the 2021 census, Indigenous children account for more than half of all children in the child welfare system. Um, it's rather heartwarming to see that you know, we're, we're the first in BC to sign this agreement and that we get the chance to continue what we're doing. To take the Indian out of the child was the main directive of these schools. So to revive our traditions, it gave, gives us a sense of pride and identity of who we are and where we come from. Under the agreement, the feds have committed to providing the splat scene with $136.2 million over 10 years to support the nation's child and family services. Coming up, orca inbreeding. There's an instance of a son mating with his mother. A new threat to the survival of the southern resident population. And later, Canada's formula shortage. How it persists months after it first began. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million, plus an estimated two Max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trishy Wissen in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. New research may have found a way that could improve survival rates in BC salmon hatcheries. Researchers suggest a change in the timing of the release of young fish by letting them go when they weigh more could help stabilize declining salmon populations and keep fisheries afloat. But a study in the Canadian Journal of Fisheries and Aquatic Sciences says there's a lack of robust scientific assessment of their overall success as different kinds of salmon have different survival needs.
The threats facing endangered orcas are numerous. There's the availability of food, particularly salmon, harmful po uh, pollution and the noise from ships that may interfere with feeding. Now scientists have uncovered another threat to their survival. As Paul Johnson reports, it has to do with the orcas mating habits. What could be more thrilling than encountering a pod of orcas? And among the best known on BC's south coast are the southern residents, known for their power and intelligence, but also for the story of their decline. Despite decades of protection, there are only 73 left. Scientists recently set out to try and find out why. A big question has been why is this population done so poorly while others have have not. Marty Cardos is a geneticist at Seattle's Fisheries Science Center. Since the southern residents are the most studied orca population in the world, they already had DNA from most of them. New technology allowed them to take a close look at their genes. And what they found was that the southern residents are extremely inbred. The least diverse population of killer whales in this sample. Just how inbred? They found only two males sired half of the calves born. And the orcas have been breeding so closely with relatives that Charles Darwin himself might shudder. There is an instance of a son mating with his mother and producing an offspring, yes. Oh my goodness. Inbreeding leads to a long list of health problems, likely amounting to a big part of their decline. The solution would be an injection of new DNA from outsiders. But the peculiar culture of the southern residents appears to be preventing that. They come within close proximity of other populations really frequently. They just don't breed with them. Cardo says given their long lives, there's still hope for them. A chance adoption of an orphaned calf could happen. Or even better, the southern resident ladies could get over their aversion to outsiders and one day have a fling with a charming stranger. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still to come, the struggle to find formula. I don't know what some families are going to do. It's dire out there. The ongoing shortage and Health Canada's response. And up next, Joe Biden's whirlwind trip to Canada. What the U.S. president said in Parliament today. Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is steady in both directions. Keep in mind though, there is overnight construction south of the tunnel on Highway 99 towards Ladner Trunk Road. BCAA members save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell, plus 10% off in-store purchases and car washes. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. Interest you with sending global tunnel. In the first visit of a U.S. president to Canada since 2016, Joe Biden outlined the close relationship between his country and ours, announcing new agreements with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and taking time to poke fun at his least favorite hockey team. Mackenzie Gray has the details on Biden's speech to Parliament. For the first time as president, Joe Biden arrived on Parliament Hill. What a real pleasure it is uh, to welcome President Biden to, uh, to Ottawa, back to Ottawa. It's an honor to be here. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, I, uh, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna get a lot done today. But before that work got done, a lighthearted moment. Green Party leader Elizabeth May giving Biden a chocolate bar made by Syrian refugees 
who now live in Nova Scotia. The president making sure he didn't leave without his gift. Before Biden addressed Parliament, a standing ovation for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, both in the gallery to hear from the president. Good afternoon. Bonjour, Canada. Biden underscoring the tight relationship of the two countries. No two nations on earth are bound by such close ties, friendship, family, commerce, and culture. But the close ties between Canada and the U.S. showed some limits when Biden shared his thoughts on hockey. I like your teams except the Leafs. I'll tell you why. Biden announcing that Canada and the U.S. have agreed to make changes to the safe third country agreement, which will close irregular border crossings like Roxham Road in Quebec for asylum seekers. After midnight tonight, police and border officers will enforce the agreement and return irregular border crossers to the closest port of entry with the United States. For the final event of the evening, a state dinner. So ladies and gentlemen, to family, to Canada and to the United States, here, here. With some prominent Canadians on hand. It's an honor to be here. Um, it's nice to know I picked the right profession. Uh, probably wouldn't have been here otherwise. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. A year after a baby formula shortage began impacting families in Canada, new parents are still having a hard time finding food for their little ones. As Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, the increasing cost of infant formula is a growing concern for families. That good. Celeste Logan has had a hard time trying to find FMLA Plus for her daughter, Lyra. She was buying it through Amazon, but just found out that the price of a container was going up by $10. It was the lowest. It was $37.98 um, per container. And then this morning I got a notification that it was going up to $47.98. We saw that it was going up from Superstore, Walmart, Shoppers Drug Mart. She managed to track some down, but it was only available at one Calgary Costco location. I don't know what some families are going to do. It's, it's dire out there. The problem started last year when an infant formula manufacturing plant in the U.S. that makes Similac products closed for several months following a product recall. It has reopened, but it hasn't returned to normal production capacity, and that has increased the demand for infant formulas produced by other manufacturers. A look at several big box retailers shows various products being out of stock. Parents that are desperate right now are hoarding. Uh, for obvious reasons. Food professor Sylvain Charlebois says the price increase comes down to supply and demand. He predicts the problem is not going to end anytime soon. Our only hope is to wait or many parents have actually decided to, to use other products. Health Canada says the total national supply of regular infant formula is sufficient, but is aware of concerns about finding store brand or lower cost formulas. The agency says there will be continued shipments of store brand formulas with more arriving over the coming weeks. As for Celeste, she got a response from Enfamil stating that from time to time, it's necessary to increase prices to be able to produce high quality products. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Just ahead, spider supporters step up. Sure, the spider should stay. Even arachnophobes want the sculpture to stay. What the artist is doing now to save it. Plus, things get fiery for First Nations youth. The training they hope to bring back to their communities.
Indigenous youth from across BC are getting a crash course in fighting fires. The two-day workshop by Vancouver Fire and First Nations Emergency Services is meant to spark a career interest in firefighting, but also pass on skills about how to keep homes and communities safe. Indigenous communities often rely on volunteer firefighters, but the number of volunteers is declining, and those with the knowledge are getting older. Participants say they learned life-saving skills today. Just this one course alone, I've learned a lot of life lessons that will take, help me during my life. That there are career paths and because my Yekuche struggles with alcohol and addictions. So it's definitely a eye-opener that there is possibilities out there and we can do something with our lives that's meaningful to the world. Organizers say the hope is the training course will ignite something in Indigenous youth to take back to their nations. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at that weather forecast. And what a show Mother Nature's been putting on these last couple of nights, Christy. We've been so lucky, yeah. So very strong solar uh, activity happening. This is second night in the row that we've seen beautiful colors. And I'm, I understand, according to Space Weather Canada, that we could see it again tonight. So if you have some clear skies, make sure you check it out. It was viewed from all corners of the province. This shot from Jennifer Dawn in the 108-mile area. Actually, she was between 108 miles, she said, and Laklahash. But stunning colors. The typical sort of green and red colors were viewed last night. But there were a few isolated areas that saw that very rare sort of pinky purple and what that happens or the pinky purple is only apparent actually when there's a very strong solar flare or solar activity uh, and we were we were able to see that last night in a few areas we certainly were on Wednesday night now today we've had scattered showers across the region and they've been really intense so downpours of rain downpours of hail have been reported across the region although no lightning strikes we are expecting a similar pattern as we head into tomorrow a very unstable air mass across the area and uh, so we are expecting some breaks here and there especially across Vancouver Island but keep in mind we still do have a chance of showers throughout the day and it's going to be cold enough that we have the potential for wet flurries early tomorrow morning freezing levels are going to be low enough great news for the local mountains not great news if you're traveling anywhere east of Hope or up towards Whistler you can absolutely expect snowfall in those uh, mountain passes again conditions are going to be very spotty you'll see some breaks of blue sky but it will remain unsettled today even into our uh, Sunday we have a little bit of instability still lingering although Sunday is going to be a trend towards more sunshine that's for sure a high of only eight degrees is definitely cool for this time of year typically we'd be up to about 11 we are going to rebound in temperature as we head into next week kids head back to school under sunny skies and warmth tonight central windows weather window coming to you from Mackenzie where it's one of the areas where they were able to catch that rare purple hue in the night sky with the northern lights so back to you so beautiful thank Thank you, Christy. An artist who surprised East Vancouver commuters with a giant spider along the Millennium SkyTrain line is fighting to save the work. The city says it wasn't authorized and has to come down. So the artist is taking to social media, asking people to speak up to save the spider. Sarah McDonald reports. Should it stay or should it go? When it comes to the spider, generating major mixed reviews across Vancouver, it all depends on who you ask. The spider should stay. It's kind of sad that they're taking it down. But not everybody feels that way, which is why on Thursday, the city announced the unsanctioned work would be removed. The artistic arachnids apparently giving too many commuters the creeps. 
I guess I understand why people find spiders scary, but it's really too bad because I really appreciate art, especially city art because it's free. The city responded far quicker to spending money on removing this sculpture than they ever would to cleaning up the environment. Now the anonymous artist claiming the piece says the plant removal of the eight-legged work made with recycled materials is highlighting some glaring hypocrisy on behalf of the city because of the lingering eyesore littered all around it and a conspicuous lack of urgency to clean all this up when this is deemed untenable. I wanted to get out here to see it before the city took it down. The artist who has sanctioned pieces elsewhere in the city has launched a grassroots online campaign urging supporters to urge the city to reconsider. I think if the city's going to remove the piece of art then they should remove the garbage from the rest of the city. Hoping the spider may be saved. After all, Sarah McDonald, Global News. Now, the spider is not the first piece of art to cause a stir in Vancouver. Back in 2008, the Upside Down Church, one of my personal favorites, was taken down, sent to Calgary after years of debate. And who can forget the mysterious appearance of a naked Satan statue erected in East Vancouver in 2014. That statue was removed within two days. Sorry, Square, you... What was that? <laughs> it was very clever, actually, what you did there. Uh. <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> Go ahead. Is this the first spider you've ever loved? <laughs> Love is an Liked? overstatement. But Slightly I, fond of? I feel sorry for the spider. He has no fear. And I don't think course, this is the last we're going to hear of this story okay. because as Jen Palma right. says, the story's got legs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this never ends. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for all of that. No problem. Uh, Philip Hronick's first game as a Vancouver Canuck impressed his new coach. I, I, I like uh, just his, uh, especially the first half of swag. I've always liked Sophie's swag too. You have <laughs> swag as well. Uh, he played most, he played the most minutes of any Canuck last night. Didn't show the effects of coming back from an injury either. There you go. And later, fun Fridays with Squire Barnes. That's what we're going to call it from now on, Squire. <laughs> Satellite debris still to come. A lot of... Um... 80s music going on at Rogers actually you know West? what when you look at the music you hear like when you look at the music you hear when, <laughs> when you think about the music you hear at hockey games mm -hmm. a lot of it's 70s 80s a bit of 90s makes not, sense it, not, yeah it's it's very classic rocky um simple minds for example made some extra royalty money last night because the uh, canucks played don't you forget about me seven times against san jose seven goals and only 21 shots andre kuzmenko Set a new Canucks record for first-year players with his 35th goal. Remember, he's not technically a rookie. The NHL thinks he's too old for that. Uh, but the pleasant surprise was defenseman Philip Hronik. Played his first game, coming back from an injury that he suffered when he was with the Red Wings. He made his Canucks debut last night, and they just said, yeah, keep going out there. Put the new guy out there. He ended up playing the most ice time, 24 minutes and 25 seconds. I like uh, just his, uh, especially the first half, his swag, quick plays. Um, 
you know, I thought he did really well. We, we, we were down to five. Well, Landon got hurt there. For, I think it was the first shift. So that was kind of tough uh, playing the 5D. So, but, I, you know, for him to come back after three, three weeks playing 5D, it's not the greatest situation. And because Will Landon got hurt, the Canucks have called up defenseman Jack Rathbone from Abbotsford. Vancouver's in Dallas tomorrow. Rathbone has played six games for Vancouver this season. Most of his time has been spent with the baby Canucks. The Vancouver Whitecaps have parted way with their head of recruitment, Nikos Overhul. Not sure why he's gone. The Whitecaps say it was mutual. Speaking of recruits, of course, Vancouver thought that Sergio Cordova was going to be their number one sniper, or Sergio Cordova. Uh, but he hasn't scored yet, and now he's out six to eight weeks with a hamstring injury. So, should Vancouver try to find a replacement outside of their current roster? Axel Schuster says no. He'll go with what he's got. The issue is if we, if we would bring a player that makes us believe he can fill a gap here for the next six weeks, what do we do with this player after the six weeks, or what do we do with the other players after the six weeks? So we will, we will get over this weeks. I don't even know if it's six weeks, but uh, in the same time, we will help Sergio to fully settle in here and to be better prepared if he's coming back because he was also lacking a little bit of the fully full adjustment or settle in or connection to the team. So uh, let's work on that. And then in six weeks, we are even at a better place. Last night in Vernon, the BC Winter Games began with the opening ceremonies. And as always, there are young athletes from all over the province. And definitely, you're going to see some of these athletes in the Olympics one day or on World Cup circuits. There are over 900 of them competing in 18 different sports. And this will be going on throughout the weekend. So if you're up there, check it out. The uh, Canadian Wrestling Championships for the best teenagers in Canada is going on at the Vancouver Convention Centre this weekend. They'll have under-15s, under-17s, and under-19s from all around the country. And for two of the wrestlers who are from Abbotsford, high-level wrestling is part of their family's DNA. There's a reason the Dinser brothers have an air of confidence about them. Both are on a path to wrestling stardom. 15-year-old Jag Roop and 17-year-old Tejvir both won national titles in their age group last year, and both are poised to repeat this weekend in Vancouver. They are about a year and a half apart in age, but are joined at the hip on the wrestling mat. He's my training partner, I'm his, so we, we work off each other and we get better. We're always giving each other tips, right? We're helping each other out. We analyze each other's wrestling. I mean, like, yo, this is what you need to improve on, right? These are the other things you need to do. To say this is a family affair is an understatement. They are coached by their dad and uncles and some very accomplished cousins, all based in Abbotsford. Nishan Randawa is a five-time national champion and won Commonwealth gold for Canada last year. And another cousin, Sonny Dinza, parlayed amateur success to the WWE, where he was part of the infamous Authors of Pain tag team. And both currently help coach and spar with their younger cousins. When you see someone that's at the senior level coming back and helping the younger guys, when they come to these competitions, they say, hey, I've rolled around with him. This competition must be much easier. So these guys, they wrestle with me all the time, four times a week. So it's been fun, and they've been doing really well. So I'm really proud of them. They're always helping us. They're always there. Nishan comes into the room. Sunny comes into the room and help us learn. And there's always something to learn, right? And that's the cool thing about the sport. It helps a lot because we can look up to him. Like, if he's, he can do it, then obviously we can too. 
The brothers have been wrestling around the house since they were toddlers, and now that they are starting to represent Canada on the international scene, the ultimate goal is becoming much more realistic. We want to both make the Olympic team at the same time, win a medal, and bring back a medal for Canada. My wrestling career dream is Olympic gold medal, and probably not going to stop until I don't get one. Pretty much, you could say we were raised on mats. We were born on mats, so this is what we're, we've been born to do. You always think of boxing and wrestling as strength sports, but the cardio you have to have yeah. is incredible. There you go. It's a workout. Mm -hmm. All right, well, don't go anywhere. I won't. You still have more work to do. I know. Satellite Debris is next. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, tonight we're hearing from a relative of Aaron Alexander Smith. He was the man shot dead in South Surrey last week. He was a father of two, not known to police, and had no ties to lower mainland gangs. Smith's cousin says he was a family man with a great sense of humor, and he believes the 38-year-old was the victim of mistaken identity. Plus, could the Empress Hotel soon be behind a picket line? Employees of the Victoria Landmark are taking part in a strike vote, and we hope to have the results by 11. Sophie? All right, we'll look forward then. Thank you, Jordan. We made it to Friday, everyone. Mm -hmm. so barely. Just barely. Well, we did. We've only got <laughs> a few minutes left. <laughs> we can do it, Christy. We can do it. Squire, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to start out with um, a company from New Zealand, MacPack, which makes outdoor wear. Here is their commercial. Have you still got your phone? No. Well, this is a bit precarious. <sighs> Quite precarious, in fact. If this was a film, the jacket would probably start to rip at this point. Yeah, but this is a Mac pack. Oh, Mac pack. Yeah. This fabric's incredible. What is it, silk? No. Ah. But it is water resistant. Yeah, good. Oi, someone's coming. Hi. Ooh, this is a bit precarious. That's what I was saying. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Oh. Do you know why they call it scroggin? It's a Dutch term for pocket nuts. Apparently they keep you warm oh and are also good for hanging off the side of a cliff. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Iceland Air is next. Oliver Wilson, your Iceland Air flight to Paris is about to depart. Oliver Wilson. Oliver! 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 Have you spotted Mr. Wilson? Oh. Are you Oliver? No. Oliver! Not here. Oliver! Oliver Wilson! Hey! 
Oliver Wilson? Your flight's leaving. So, are you excited to see Paris? That's, that's what. So if you go to Iceland, even on a layover, you'll not want to leave. I get it that's now. Not even to see Paris. No. <laughs> Why see Paris? You're in Iceland. Reykjavik, that's what's happening. Okay, so two here. One from uh, Morgan & Morgan, a law firm in the U.S., and a good Tide commercial. Here we go. America, home of the free. Free is our favorite word. Free samples? Like free samples. Yum. Joy. Thank you. Free samples. We get it. That's why at Morgan & Morgan, our fee is free. That means you don't pay anything unless we win your case. Grab one for my sister, too. <laughs> Injured? Thanks. Call Morgan & Morgan for thepeople.com. Hello again. You don't know me. Try Tide Power Pods with 85% more Tide in every pod. Who needs that much more Tide? He does. <laughs> no, what does that mean? <laughs> It means you're gonna need more Tide. See? More Tide. They're gonna need more Tide. Aw. Who's gonna need more Tide? You are. Yes, you are. Going outside? More Tide. More likes. More Tide. More science. More adorable. More viral. You're all gonna need more Tide. You're gonna need more Tide. It's a mess out there. That's why there's 85% more Tide in every power pod. I can so relate to that. <laughs> really? I was thinking of you, Christy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Two boys. Well, three boys in this household. <laughs> reminds me. Mm -hmm. Gotta do laundry. All right. A final word to you, Christy. Sure. So tomorrow we do have a slight chance of wet flurries over higher elevations, but showers are really the main thing tomorrow. Staying cool will warm up and the sun will come out though later in the day Sunday. Looking forward to it. Have a good weekend all and a good night.